what happens when mom and dad introduce you to their new friend? And if that new friend is 10 years your junior, that may not sound so bad. But then dad says, Susie and I are getting married. Oh my goodness, now what? You might be surprised. Welcome to Doing It Best with Elder Care Success, where we explore ways to relieve the stress, exhaustion, and overwhelm that we all face in caring for an aging parent, frail spouse, or partner. Fear, frustration, emotional and financial strain does not have to be your MO. Stay tuned as we dive into different and new ways of finding more joy together with those that we love and care for, and while keeping our feet solid on the ground. Hang tight, there is a better road ahead. Hello everybody, it's Nancy May once again with Doing It Best with Elder Care Success. So, as you all know, I always get excited about every show, but <laughs> I'm going to say, but here's another one. This one really has me super intrigued because my guest here today is Michael Hurst, a retired police, uh, police sergeant from Colorado, now in another state, who knows about the things about scandals, scandals that we have seen in many cases with our parents, maybe others that hits the news not necessarily just black widows there are many oftentimes called but the love interests of conniving scoundrels i'll call them that go in and see that mom or dad are widowed and are lonely that happens to many people i don't care how old you are i've seen younger people who have lost a spouse who have gone through things like this and the news tends to hit on those of our parents or our friends or family members who are older and alone and have lost a spouse or a partner of so many years and now has somebody saying how beautiful they are online or how wonderful they are. They want to make their life happy again. And it's easy to have our hearts grabbed and stolen by some of these scoundrels who are out there creating misery, not in the long run, well, in the long run for our parents, but also for us who just don't know. And I've seen it myself with others, and I know Michael has too. So with that, we are going to discuss the issues of how not to have those that we love fall victim to the well-practiced characters. And yes, I am being exceptionally polite who are out to steal the hearts of those that we love, the hearts, the wallets, and their life savings in many cases and homes. So Michael, welcome to the show. You are a, a friend, a podcast colleague. I don't want to say in crime because we're not in crime with podcasting. <laughs> Although not, you were. Not, not yet. Uh, yeah, not yet, right? We could, we could plan something. <laughs> You've had some experience with this in the course of your career and seen it. Why don't you tell me a little bit about what you've seen just to get started and how how somebody is even going to notice that maybe there is this character lurking with a box of heart-shaped chocolates from mom or dad at their doorstep. Well, you know, it's really interesting. And I'm sure that you all have watched or seen some of these shows that are coming on to like 2020 and Dateline and so forth about these individuals that seek out the vulnerable. They do it in a manner that allows them to have access to money, to belongings, their house, their cars, their jewelry, their 
you know, everything involved uh, with their life so that they kind of come in and sneak in and slowly start siphoning that off of their assets. And their self-worth on top of it, because when they feel that they're victim, people don't want to admit that this has happened. They want to be trusting. We ideally want to, right? Well, and yes, and we all do, because we all, like you said in your opening, reality is, is that we all get older. Reality is our parents get older. If we are in a position where we lose somebody, and in that loss, that in turn makes us vulnerable. If we are sick, or we have a disease, or we have some issues that require additional help, that makes us vulnerable. So if you have a caretaker come in because of your the situation, the health situation or the mental capacity situation of your loved one, that creates a, an opportunity to take advantage of that vulnerability. But it's a bond that happens too in those cases. The caretaker comes in taking care of some very personal things with your health and well-being and you begin to to trust them. Not that you shouldn't have to not trust people, but it's better to be aware versus fall victim. And it, it hurts. I mean, it physically hurts when you've been emotionally and financially violated like that. And I use the term violated because I think it's important to use that one. It is 100%. And reality is, is that most of us, whether we are a victim to that, or we come to find that our loved one is a victim to that, it usually starts with the situation. It starts with a caretaker. And I need to preface this just to make sure. We're not saying that all caretakers are this way. We're not saying that everyone that comes into your house has the tendency to become a criminal and take advantage of your loved one. They're a small percentage that actually make a living at this. And I investigated it during my law enforcement career numerous times. And back when I was a, a law enforcement officer, it started with elder abuse. And the word elder abuse brings up many things. One of them could be physical, but it also could be emotional, mentally, taking advantage of in any form, which includes financial as well. So from that position, you start an investigation, but those investigations don't come about until somebody takes notice. They either notice that checks are missing, they notice that something is gone, or they come in to get their mother's jewelry to help her get dressed for church or something and realize that the jewelry's missing. And they start investigating a little bit farther and they find out all these little things start taking place. And as they culminate once or twice a week, they think maybe somebody's been misplaced. But the more it comes about, the more the investigation warrants contacting law enforcement. And when you contact law enforcement, we had come in and then we would start an investigation from the get-go. And a lot of that, when you interview the loved one, the victim, we'll call them the victim at this point, they come back and say, well, they're my friend and they needed help. Ooh, 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 and that hurts even yeah. more so. And as you're talking about the little missing or the little triggers that we start noticing, like mom's jewelry is not there or dad doesn't have the money in his wallet anymore, you know, where is it? Or there's a check that's been written for somebody. And we're not just talking caregivers. It could be anybody that comes in and becomes befriends somebody and builds that trust and that relationship if we are taking care of a parent or overseeing their care from a long distance that becomes even more difficult to notice the subtleties that build up over time and it could be a huge dent or ding that happens like i'm thinking all of a sudden somebody else's name is is on the deed of the house 
right? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, the majority of those kind of incidents of those kind of crimes that I investigated, uh, the majority of them were literally the, the children or the other individuals, the guardians, were literally living in another state and they would come to visit and this was what was taking place. Some of them lived in different cities and so forth, so it wasn't a constant monitoring of their loved one. That's why they had somebody come in. It doesn't always happen in that perspective either, as you mentioned earlier. As we get older, and if we don't have anybody, we've lost a spouse, we've lost a boyfriend, we've lost a girlfriend, we've lost a husband, we lost a wife. What's that? We, exactly. We get lonely. Lonely opens the door for a whole new prospect because you have individuals that prey upon lonely. And when they prey upon lonely, they come in and become their friend. And when they become their friend, they say, oh, well, my car broke down. Can you help me? Oh, yeah. I've heard that story before. And we got rid of it in eight ones because those stories were starting to mount up. And yeah, I came in and said, could you please return that? I think it was an intentional thing that was happening. But some people like to play the victim, perpetual victim. And, and then the elderly person is there to be the savior or to look, feel good about being the savior. Correct. We're, and we're more trusting. We become more trusting as we get older. And, and you know, when you come in and say, well, I, I don't have enough money to feed my kids. Here's $50. Here's 50 bucks. Here's 100 bucks. And that adds up. Here's my credit card. Go Just go buy what you need, right? Exactly. I didn't have enough gas to get here, so I had to walk. These kind of little, little subtleties. I can tell you the conversations we've had prior to this interview, even those of us that professional and investigated situations like that, it can happen to us too. Prime example is my father-in-law. We took care of my father-in-law, had Louis body dementia. Uh, he was in another state, but prior to us bringing him down here with us, there was a situation that started to develop that we had no knowledge of because the woman that was taking advantage of him advised him to make it a surprise, quote unquote. What, to make what a surprise? Uh, the, the, their relationship a surprise to the kids. Oh, how wonderful to tell your children that yes. you found love again and that your heart is healing and the world will be good. Right. But she was saying, we're going to make it a surprise. We're not going to tell them now. We're going to do a big uh, thing down the road. So she started. Sneaky, sneaky. Exactly. So we were unaware of this, even though every time we made a phone call, how, how are you doing? How's things going? Because in the beginning, he was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease, and he pretty much maintained himself. So we had no clue that he was becoming more of an individual that was mentally incapable of managing his home yeah. and lifestyle until these kind of things started happening. So even from our perspective, I'm a professional. I didn't pick up on any of that. Even though we heard David's tone change when he talked on the phone and how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. Um, you're going out with your friends? Oh, I met some new friends and yeah, I'm doing great. Didn't really say that it was a woman across the uh, next door to him that had befriended him and then slowly started integrating her lifestyle into his. First started off with, why don't we go out to lunch? And then it turns out, after I got into look at his bank account, that he was taking 500 bucks out a week. And that was to take her, all of her kids, and all of her grandkids, like 20 people, to lunch or dinner every week. And then at the end of that, she would say, I can't pay these bills. Can you help me out? And he'd hand the money over. It can even happen when somebody is living in a care facility where... We caught something that was a little suspicious, and there was a gal that was working 
to take dad really to medical appointments while we were up north and we were worried about dad driving to the doctors each time. So she would take him and then they would stop to pick up. He loved his favorite vermouth. Well, she would come in with bottles of vermouth and they're like, dad got like 30 bottles of vermouth. Well, he doesn't need that much. I mean, really? Then we, the, the facility that they were in said at the time, well, your dad has a drinking problem. Dad doesn't have a drinking I mean, seriously. But the bills for the alcohol were like, what? On dad's credit card. So we just, all right, well, if that's what we have to pay for just to get him to go out, then sometimes it was just okay. But $30, $30 to $40 a week on alcohol for my father is like, no, not mom wasn't drinking. It was, it was like something was going on. And then we just sort of cut things off and figured it out. But we were sharp enough. I wouldn't say sharp enough, but we were suspecting enough to nip that one pretty quickly in the bud. But we don't always have that opportunity to catch those. No. See, David, this had been going on with David for about six months. The only reason we actually really found out about her in the first place was because David's sister and brother-in-law had come to visit him. And this lady came bounding out of the house next door and went over and she had her arms and her hands all over David and says, oh, didn't you know we are getting married? <laughs> and, and David, John came out and called me and, and he went outside. He go, wait a minute. Called me and said, did you realize that David's getting married? I went, absolutely not. So that's where we kind of started exploring a little bit more about this individual and found out that she, her intentions were a little more deeper than than A little bit just. more nefarious. So if you suspect something like this, how do you actually do a little bit more deeper investigation on somebody so that you might have a better understanding? Because they always say, you know, assume the best or the worst. In some cases, you want to assume the best for your parents, but you also want to be cautious and I guess hopefully investigate for the worst on others that might have an impact on their lifestyle. Well, and, and I would say this, I would preface it with this. Uh, if I'm coming from a law enforcement, law enforcement perspective, men and women are targeted equally. The National Center on Elder Abuse reports that 90% of all elder abuse, which includes physical, sexual, emotional, mm -hmm. and financial, is perpetrated by someone that's not known to the victim. So that's why it's very difficult to start really understanding that this is taking place to our loved one because it, they all of a sudden have a new friend. And that new friend stays quiet and the new friend doesn't tell anybody outside of that immediate arena. They don't tell the kids. They keep it a secret, like I said earlier. Something that's special that they hold near and dear and, and aren't they wonderful and independent? They don't have to involve the kids in worrying about them, right? Exactly. So the first thing that you should take notice of is whether or not you're a loved one, whether it be a spouse, a grandparent, a parent, whoever it happens to be, ask them if they've got any new friends. Or a change of behavior. Or a change of behavior. That would be the first thing to do. See whether or not there's somebody that has come into their life that all of a sudden, like the woman next door to David, you know, she's hanging all over him. David's smiling. He thinks this is pretty cool. He's big man on campus again, right? He's a big man on the block. Okay. Find out whether or not there's any kind of changes like that. Find out if there's anybody new within their system. If you have people coming into the house on a regular basis, then Make sure that you monitor everything within the house that they have access to, to include checkbooks, cash, wallets, jewelry, stocks, bonds, deeds to any houses or property, titles to any cars, anything like this, so that you can monitor 
what comes in and what stays there. If you start noticing little things, just like you said earlier, 30 bucks a week for alcohol. It creeps up. The little tiny exactly. things where the trust happens. And it's terribly sad that we have to be so suspicious. In a perfect world, things would, would not have to be that way. But unfortunately, it's not perfect. And I wanted to sort of add here at this point and see if you've had experience with this. My dad taught us to be trusting. My mom told us to be suspicious. <laughs> so I think I probably got the both, you know, the, the good and the the angel on one shoulder saying the world is good and the devil on their shoulder saying, oh, screw that. We're going after those bastards. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> on, on mom's side, which is probably good to have both. But we did not put the, the obit for my dad or my mom in the newspaper for that exact reason, because we've heard stories of where one parent dies and now all of a sudden the other is a potential victim of somebody building a friendship quickly over time. Or quite frankly, when you're out at a funeral and a dinner or whatever afterwards, the house is, is ransacked. Yeah, 100%, 100%. Right? 100%. So, as much as I may have wanted to do that, there are other ways to celebrate their life in a more public way with those that mean something to you versus, or even later on when the house and, and they are not necessarily as vulnerable. Well, in that, in that particular instance, yes, you are correct. It leaves the house vulnerable. It leaves it open to uh, ransacking, to theft, to burglary and so forth. But there are some things that could be put into place during those time periods. Most police departments and sheriff departments will, they have a, uh, like a patrol that you can, a patrol check that you can say, hey, we're having a funeral today. A parent died. It wouldn't matter who it is. You go in and say that I had a death in the family. We're having a funeral today. The obituary is up. We'd like to put a check on the house for this time period. And they'll do drive-bys and they'll check the house periodically. I didn't realize that. That It's sort of like door check, you know, at night. With Correct. Correct. So that's available to, like I say, 99% of the police departments, sheriff departments out there have that available to you that you can say, this is do what we do. Keep an eye on it. Could you do that for safety? Yes. That's, that's fabulous. Yeah. We've got a sheriff who lives down the street, but... On, on either side of our house where we are now, but it doesn't mean that they're necessarily keeping an eye on the neighborhood. They come in and out and they go to work. Well, exactly. I mean, they're observant, like me. I, I'm retired, but I still pay attention to what goes on in the neighborhood, but I don't necessarily walk the neighborhood to look for who's home, who's not home. Right, that's not your job at that particular time. You're you're still off, off the clock, exactly. as they so, say, in some cases. Yeah, you can make that request. The situation that arises where somebody gets taken advantage of, especially within elder abuse, and I continue to call that elder abuse because it is, that they take advantage mm -hmm. of them mentally, physically, emotionally, all the way down the line, is the fact that whoever it happens to be, they befriend them, back to the process of what to look for, they befriend them, little things start taking, get taken away, little things start become missing. It is what we would consider no big deal, Maybe it was misplaced or something else. In that particular situation, we have to pay attention to it because of that. Because thirty bucks then becomes fifty bucks. Fifty bucks becomes seventy-five bucks. Seventy-five bucks becomes a hundred bucks. One set of earrings becomes two. Two sets of earrings become three. Then it becomes a necklace to go with the earrings. A check becomes a roof on a house. Exactly. So from that perspective, yes, we have to pay attention to those little things that can allow the the crime to be committed within that area. And then the second thing is we have to 
be diligent and allow ourselves to understand that our loved one has become the victim of a crime. And to seriously take that word at heart, the term victim is a big word that we sort of wrap our heads around. We think of victims as violent crime victims, not the subtle crime victims, correct? Exactly. 100%. You have a situation where people think that there's there are victimless crimes, the little things. That's a victimless crime. There is no crime that doesn't have a victim in some way, shape, or form, correct? Correct. If your loved one is being taken advantage of, whether it be physically or mentally or financially, that person is a victim of that crime. Now, they're going to come up to a defense that says, well, they, they're they my friend and they appreciated me. They just helped me out. They were willing to fall into this relationship. So then the perpetrator, as we'll call them, right? Correct. Is not necessarily a criminal because Michael gave me permission to do this. Therefore, it's okay. Correct. But that's where the- They justify it. Correct. But that's where the mental capacity issue comes about. Now, that doesn't say you as a child- taking care of your parents as a, or your grandparents or whoever it happens to be, your loved one, are lack in your duties to take care of that individual because of the mental capacity diminishing to a point that somebody becomes vulnerable because you can be lonely, lonely, lonely all by yourself and still create the, a, the capacity for a mental diminishment that allows for somebody to come in and take advantage of that. We're seeing that a lot even now in the last two years of of people being housebound because of COVID. Exactly. They want the contact. They want the friendship. They want to open that door. So those kind of things we need to pay attention to. Again, back to the beginning, do they have any new friends? Do they have any new, new behavioral changes? Do they seem to be more upbeat when they weren't before? Do they seem to be changed? Start asking. Don't be afraid to ask. Even if somebody is feeling happier, you want that, but ask why if, in fact, they have been sad for a while and all of a sudden they're happy again. Exactly. It could it could be maybe somebody's given them a happy pill and we, and we don't know why. And that's a different kind of abuse, right? Well, that falls under elder abuse just the same. I mean, you're incapacitating someone. If you're incapacitating someone in that form, then you're taking advantage of that. And again, that makes you a criminal. Of this too, yeah. as the older children, just because mom and dad become a victim of some love trap, but we're the victims ourselves too, because we're—I mean, we're the—we're the adult children, and we can feel emotionally drained because this has happened to our parents. We feel the ones that we've been violated just as much, and in an essence, we have. Yes, absolutely. Sitting here thinking back on, on... It happens to a whole family. It doesn't happen just to one person. Exactly. I, w- I was just going to say, I was thinking about uh, an incident that took place with my mother, my stepfather, actually, before she passed away. My stepfather had passed prior to her. So there was a time period where she was by herself before she passed. And he called me up and said, you know, I keep getting a phone call from somebody that says that he's Burl's nephew in jail and uh, was wondering whether or not Aunt Carol could uh, help him get bail money and forwarding bail money. So even in that situation, this is somebody that happened to get a hold of my mother's phone number, get a hold of and understand that Burl was deceased and not there to, to substantiate whether or not this was actually Burl's nephew and asking for money saying, I'm in jail. Uh, I need bail money. Can you please send me bail money? Because I know that Uncle Burl is passed, but you know, I still 
still loved you as an aunt. And, you know, my mother's going, I don't ever remember this person. Luckily, she hung up and called me. And I said, did you get a phone number? No, they said they were calling from jail and that they only had one phone call. That was a scam that was going along the internet for a while that, you know, grandma would get a call from Susie over in his visiting a friend in London and her wallet was stolen. Could you please send $500 or $5,000 to get her out of a, you know, tough situation? And people did, the grandparents did it. Exactly. So that's what I was saying. It can go across the board. And those of us that even when we have the knowledge of it, it can still happen if we're not aware of it and we don't pay attention to what our parents are doing, who they're seeing, what they're involved in, who they're involved with. It sounds like we're being nosy, but we're not. It's just like checking the mental capacity. We're being loving. We're being, we care about their well-being in other ways. So let's say David has got this new love interest and she bounds out of the house with his arms all over your your father-in-law and we'll call her Susie because I don't know her name. Well, I have a very distinct Has a name. <laughs> Excuse me, what? I have a distinctive name, but this is a nice podcast. Well, yeah, well, like I said, you know, WTF stands for, for well, that's fantastic. So, <laughs> or whatever you want it to be. But in this particular case, you have Susie's name, but you don't have enough detail or maybe you don't need that, all the details to actually do some sort of deeper investigation on the true character and history of this individual. How do you actually go about doing that? Well, there, that I'll call it the super sleuth on Susie. There's a couple of steps that I would take prior to that. Um, you have the ability to call, especially if you're out of town, Call the local adult protective services. Um, it's usually part of the Department of Child Safety Department of. They have an elder abuse arena within within the right. same department. Have them go and check on your parent. Have them go and check on your grandparent or whoever the loved one is that you are taking care of. Number one. And they won't remove them from the house either. They'll just make sure that they're. They'll safe, make a I mental guess. capacity or an assessment of the situation within themselves. That creates a paper trail. Number one. And you don't want them to all of a sudden bring in a court-appointed guardian and take everything away from you either, because I've heard those stories too. I guess you can put some limits on them. Yes, you can put limits on those things. But they'll give a, an initial assessment to determine whether or not there is a capacity, whether it be a mental capacity or physical capacity that opens the door for this. So you start creating a paper trail to understand that the person, we'll call the next door neighbor, would you call her mm -hmm. Susie? We'll call her Susie. I called her Susie. <laughs> Well, say Susie, first of all, whether or not Susie is taking advantage of him in any particular way. So these adult protective services individuals will pop in at any time. So they may show up when that person is there, when Susie's there. At that time, then they'll kind of take notice of it as well. Let me ask you, do they come in as and identify them as themselves as somebody from adult protective services or the court system yes. or however... They, so they do it like an officer would say, you know, hello, right. I'm, I'm Officer Hurst. They would say, hello, I'm I'm Jeannie from Adult Protective Services. Yes, they would do that. So that would be the first thing. You have the ability that you can pay for a background investigation on someone. So in this particular instance, well, we... Even without their social security information or anything, you can. Correct. there's ways to do this without the details. That is okay. correct. So basically, that's what we did initially. We did a background investigation on her. I was able to do one a little bit deeper, but there are those available that you can do that'll give you a preliminary. So in this case with Susie, what I was able to determine after we had the phone call with John was that it ran pretty quickly, actually. She had literally been married four previous times. 
in those four previous times, she had inherited everything that those individuals had owned, including houses and property deeds. And then she sold the house and property, moved on to the next one, sold the house and property, moved on to the next one. Four times. Four. She's got a nice little gig going Exactly. On so in this particular case, you piece that together with the fact that she's living next door to David, who is vulnerable, obviously physically and mentally vulnerable. She can see that. So that there's where the elder abuse comes in because this person understands a physical and mental disability or a vulnerability, not a disability. Now they practice and attuned to looking exactly. out for people like this too over time. It's not like something that they just sort of try it and see what happens. This is a pattern that they... Well, yeah, and, and here's where you see the pattern. So she befriended him. And of course, he says, oh, where's your kids? You have kids? Yeah, I have kids. Where are they at? Oh, they live in Arizona. And oh, well, who owns... And David's in Colorado, David's in Colorado. so it's far enough uh, away. Who owns the yep. property? I own the property. Well, David likes to brag that his house was paid off because he was proud of the fact he paid his house off. And he should be proud. And he should be proud. So yeah, this house, I paid it off. It's my house. And, you know, these little subtle things that we later came to find out after I did the background investigation when we caught, had a conversation with David. His sister and brother, and brother-in-law were there with him. They had him on speakerphone. And we had this conversation with him over the telephone while John and uh, Susan were there. So during this background investigation, not only did we find out this is what she was doing, we also found out that her kids and her grandkids were living in that house next to David's. So what we learned was that she was planning on marrying David, taking over the house, putting her kids in that house, and living in the house next door. So it was like a one full little complex. So it's a switcheroo. 100, yeah, well, she went on both houses. David's house becomes the house for the kids. She moves them into her house, and exactly. who knows whether she stays there or not. And David, as you and I have conversations, David had 18. We had him for 18 months when we brought him down. We brought him down here immediately after that. So she was picking people that were extremely unhealthy and mm -hmm. invulnerable mentally and physically. And she was doing that for a particular reason. So we were able to start substantiating that this person's pattern was to select people like David and who were incapacitated to, to a certain perspective, who had property or money. David had money, but he, did, he wasn't like an, a rich individual, but he had paid off his house. So his pension was going into the bank along with Social Security. So it was comfortable. It was, it was comfortable, comfortable, but he was not like lottery rich. Well, exactly. And she substantiated that by taking having him take out five hundred bucks every week and take everybody out to dinner or lunch and then take the remainder of that money to quote unquote pay bills. So once we started establishing the pattern and what was taking place based on the information I found in the background, then we were able to contact adult protective services and the local law enforcement agency there and initiate an investigation into her. Well, by that time, she backed off completely, said, well, we weren't really going to get married. And, you know, we were just talking about marriage. She was confronted directly by the local authorities Correct. as well to see what was going on. Now, I've got a, another question for you, because I think this is fascinating. And here's somebody who's had a habit of doing this at least four times. It's a little bit more difficult when somebody's done it once or twice so they're in their early stages. And one of my, well, my dad's financial advisor, who we got rid of for a number of reasons and got a better one, but he had a conversation with me down here in Florida when I came to one visit. And he says, you know, I really have to watch out for these old, quote unquote, old guys who are my clients because the young 
chickaroos <laughs> are always out after the older widowers who right. are feeling that lonely lonely right and then all of a sudden some you know buxom blonde comes along and kajing you know all of a sudden i've got testosterone again and i'm 85 exactly <laughs> or maybe too much testosterone not the 20 year old but maybe 25 year old and you think that life is what it was back then and it's not exactly. so the financial advisor was quite aware of what was going on in many cases whether he stepped in and told families i don't know but and he had his own issues that we dealt with separately. But, so that's also financial and abuse from the professional side. But I, I'm getting at the story is what happens or, or how do you even figure this out when somebody's kind of knew it being the... Detective? Well, I wouldn't say the detective. I would say the perpetrator. So she's heard it once before. He's heard it once before. He's seen the stories. Well, I'm smarter than that. I'm going to get away with it. And it's going to only happen once or twice. And then here's the thing about crime. Most criminals think they're too smart to get caught. Right. 99.9% of criminals out there, there are a very, very, very small percentage that actually get away with what they're doing. But they don't get away with it forever. Think that they're too smart to get caught. So everybody gets comfortable and everybody will mess up one time or another. When they get sloppy, a little too When they loud. get sloppy, they'll mess up. Always get messed up. So just like earlier when we were talking about the $30 liquor, that $30 can easily turn into 40 and then to 50 and All of a sudden they go, well, that was easy. And now they're writing a check for 500 bucks. I got away with that, so I might as well get away with this. $30, $40 is worth looking at. Doesn't seem like a lot today, but it could quickly, in a week or two, quickly add up. become a $5,000 bill that you don't know about. Exactly. That's where you have to really pay attention and understand. Like the marriage scam... We'll call it a marriage scam, right. like Susie was trying to commit with David. It is more prevalent than you would you would even think that you would guess. Well, once you're married, you have the right to the assets of the unless it's a prenup. But I don't know if prenups can actually be broken. Exactly, and I don't I don't know in that regard either. I don't think that they can. But in most states, if like California, for example, or um, I think Colorado's a, a mutual property state. California is. If a spouse dies, you get all of it. Right. And even still, if with a prenup and you'd say that you don't get it, you know, I would imagine that there's some way, I'm not an attorney on this one, that and that might actually might be a good show to have, you know, how do you deal with prenups on, on elder relationships? But um, to say that that was signed under duress, you know, victim beware, I guess, is ultimately the, the conversation to have. Well, it is. In in reality, the best protection, because in reality, if they convince, if David would have been, would have married this individual, we never would have known because she was already keeping it a secret from us. And she kept it a secret from us because she didn't want us to know or to find out. She knew what she was doing. David didn't. And he was happy to think, oh, my God, what a wonderful surprise for my kids. Right. Exactly. So and. David never told her that I was a retired cop. Oh, she probably would have run for the hills. <laughs> John time, did right? tell her I was a retired cop. John did tell her that, and she said he said her, her face turned kind of white. <laughs> Oops. When, when he said, you know, does does his kids know this? And his son-in-law is a retired police sergeant, and she kind of stopped, and her face turned white, and she said, "Well, we'll talk about this another time." And she she went back to her house, and then. They never saw her after that, actually, the whole time that they were staying there. Let me ask you one question as far as in, impersonating a police officer. 
I know that you're not allowed to do that, but if you've got a family member and all of a sudden you're seeing this happen, could you, could you legally say, oh, my brother-in-law is a former police officer and he's coming down to visit. Now, we didn't actually, he didn't impose himself as a, a police, former police officer. Could you just use those words to see what happened to somebody? That's a very, very fine line. So I will say this. If you represent yourself as a police officer in order to intimidate someone or to gain something, then you break the law. But if I say that it's not me, but it's my brother-in-law. Exactly. You're not necessarily representing uh, law enforcement. You're not representing law enforcement. You're not implying that you are a police officer. You're not even implying that somebody's broken. Like when somebody pulls somebody over and they're not a cop and they come out up and say, I'm a cop. Let me see your driver's license. That is. That's that's outright. Yeah, that's outright fraud. And that's illegal. outright fraud. But I would say that of seeing how somebody might react could be an interesting. There's way a fine to line. Hmm. Yeah. So yeah, I I would say really. Yeah, it's, it's a good question, right? <laughs> I I don't want to give liberty to everybody. <laughs> so you, I think that the your question earlier about about um, doing the investigation on someone and initiating that the best way is to create a paper trail to create documentation and to create the opportunity for you to be able to present a prosecutorial case when you go to the cops. Right. That's the best way to do it. And easily, you can either confront that individual and say, this is what we have on you, so you can back off right now, which is what John did to Susie. Right. I'd keep remembering who we called her. That's what John did, because I faxed him <laughs> the back... <laughs> the... Uh, Gives the whole new meaning to the song. <laughs> the uh, half faxed him the background report, and he took that over. and He said, "Right there, my son-in-law or my nephew-in-law is a retired police sergeant. He did a background on you. Here's the background. We know everything that you're doing, what you're doing. So stay away from David." And then we immediately took the steps after that to ensure that that didn't happen again. By basically took David down here with us. And we got powers of attorney. So we and moved we him from the situation. Everything in yeah. place so that we had control of everything. His property, the bank accounts, his health, everything was put into place so that we had the opportunity to say, if somebody did come in and say, oh, David, you know, you're the best looking guy on the block and I've been admiring you from afar and I want to marry you. And David goes, okay. There was nothing that they could do in regard to that, because we would have to approve it. Right. And the same thing is, is you, if you are within this position, and I know that it's hard, it's very hard mentally for us to go and have our loved one evaluated for mental capacity. But if you have to do it and it's going to protect them, have them evaluated. Yeah. If that takes place, then get a conservatorship over that individual. Get those paperwork in place so that this can't happen any longer. Take control of their finances and their health and their property so that this does not open up an opportunity for someone to take advantage of them in any form. So that if somebody comes in and says, well, yeah, you walk in and you see them wearing grandma's ring, you know, earrings, and you say, where'd you get those? And so well, she gave them to me. Yep. You can say, give them back. And they have to. And if they don't, you can charge them with Theft. Right, absolute theft. There are ways to sort of put controls on things. And in banking situations, I know a lot of banks will actually work with you if you go in 
and say, look, at, I, I need to have a, first of all, although it's not always the best way to do it, is go in with a parent who's still cognitively sharp and say, let them know that I have access as POA to your account. They'll need the POA to know so, to, to know that ideally, if you can put your name on the account as the primary person to help them manage that and, exactly. then, and then put stops on the account. Exactly. Get calls. I mean, I would get calls all the time on accounts when checks were written for certain vendors that we dealt with to make sure that, in fact, that we approved that the check was, in fact, written by me, by me for this payment. So I appreciated that. It didn't happen all the time, but it did happen on occasion or when um, I made stops on, on credit cards, which we had so that the aides right. could go and purchase groceries. And because of that, I could also go in every single day and say, was this approved? And I got receipts for everything. Just because there was a receipt didn't necessarily mean that I knew everything, but it also gave me the the ability to question the size of the accounts that, or the the expenditures, expenditures and how it was being used. So little things did sneak in on occasion. And sometimes I just let them go because it wasn't that important, but I'll have to tell you the story about fried chicken Fridays. Um, another story. <laughs> we'll have to talk about that. In reality, is is um, not everybody's out to marry our parents or our grandparents in that particular case. But that kind of marriage is a business to these people. Yeah, and even just taking a thousand dollars a week from somebody is uh, is a practice that is. Yep. And knowing that constant, a lot of folks, and a thousand dollars here from David or from. From Johnny or from Susie, it's you know at the end of a of a month you've got you could have you know fifty thousand dollars very easily in your account from a couple of different people. Well, they were taking two thousand dollars. David was taking two grand a month out of it. Yeah, that's account. a lot from one person. If they had done it for several, who knows what would have happened? What I'd like to do is do sort of a quick rundown of maybe the top three or or four things that people should do if they suspect anything. The first I would say is what you had said is. Just keep a paper trail. Keep an idea of changes of what's going on with personalities, styles, behaviors, secrets. Change in mood and temperament is one thing, correct? New friends. New friends, too. Understanding what's happening in their bank account. You're seeing things that are going on, even if you don't have full access to it. Try and get there so you can monitor what's happening for their security. Correct. Make sure you're the the financial and medical directive in charge of and, and have that. For the individual, have them evaluated if necessary. Correct, because at marriage, you cannot stop a marriage. Even if you, they say, you know, if there's anybody in this room that shall ever whatsoever say that you can't do that or whatever, I'm not. Yeah, somebody could say, I don't want you to marry that person, but the, they'll too say, late. okay, well, pff, too bad. Sorry, Dolly, you got it. <laughs> but there, there's no way to impede the marriage unless there's a mental incapacity and you can prove that. And if you prove that by having the evaluation done, so you can say that person is not mentally capable of making the decision to enter into the bond of marriage. I understand, but how heartbreaking for any one of us to have to stand up in a ceremony and with that paper and show that and heartbreaking and humiliating for the individual who may on that day be feeling good. Well, that's why you want to do it before they get there. Right. But that's providing you even know it's going to happen. It goes back to pay attention to who who are involved within the life of that loved one. Who are there? Like caregivers. Caregivers are one of the primary individuals that are basically forcing the elder to be a limited mental capacity 
into confidential late life marriages mm -hmm. for the purpose of taking advantage of them financially. So pay attention to who, who are involved in the life, who's coming into them, who's seeing them, who's taking care of them, who's visiting them, who's in the house. And keep an open dialogue with your loved one so that they don't hold secrets. And get law enforcement involved as well as the elder abuse local authorities. Correct. Well, thank you, Michael. This has been enlightening. We are going to put all links and information in the show notes, including a link to Michael's podcast, which is One More Thing Before You Go. And it's a great show. He's done, he's done wonderful work. If you are not a subscriber to Doing It Best with Elder Care Success, please do so. It's been fun for me, and we are sharing a lot of great information in the show. And share it with your friends, your family members because you just never know. So thanks a lot, Michael. It has been a joy and a pleasure to be here with you and another podcast colleague. Go podcasters. Thank you very much. It's been an honor. Take care. Bye-bye. This show is sponsored by Caremanity, the publishers of How to Survive 911 Medical Emergencies, a step-by-step -step guide before, during, and after. For your own personalized free file of life, go to www.howtosurvive911.com All trademarks, brands, and comments are not intended to be substitutes for medical, financial, or legal advice. Please consult a medical, legal, or financial professional for issues relevant to your own personal situation. This show is produced by Caremanity LLC. All rights reserved. Copyright 2021 Caremanity LLC.